0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast.
1: I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. The Supreme Court refused to undercut efforts to clean up insider trading on Wall Street this week. The justices rejected an appeal in the largest insider trading case ever brought against an individual. And former hedge fund manager Matthew Martoma lost his chance to shorten a nine-year prison sentence. Joining me is Peter Henning, a professor at Wayne State University Law School. Peter, Martoma was convicted in 2014 for using tips to make $275 million for his employer, SAC Capital Advisors, on trades in two pharmaceutical stocks. What was his argument before the Supreme Court?
2: The key focus of his argument was that from an earlier Second Circuit decision by United States versus Newman, that there was no personal benefit. He had established a relationship with a University of Michigan doctor who was conducting a clinical trial and learned from him that, in fact, the trial was going to be unsuccessful. But he said, look, there, there was no benefit there, and therefore I should not have been convicted. The Supreme Court in another earlier decision had said that Well, as long as there is some type of personal relationship, that can be enough. And the Second Circuit found that there was enough of a personal relationship that they upheld in a two-to-one decision, Martoma's conviction.
1: So the justices refusing the case leaves in place that Second Circuit decision in Martoma's case. Does that decision actually widen the definition of who can be prosecuted for insider trading? Certainly
2: it does, because what the Second Circuit did, they issued two opinions in his case. In the first one, they said that the personal benefit test simply didn't apply. They then backtracked on that. But one of the things they did in the second opinion was they said, if you make an unauthorized disclosure of confidential information, so if you walk up to a stranger on the street and say, IBM's about to be taken over, go by IBM, that that would be considered tipping, and therefore that would be a violation of the insider trading laws. And that's really an extension of the law. I mean, normally we don't think of talking to a stranger as triggering insider trading liability, but in fact, according to the Second Circuit, that could be enough if you're not authorized to disclose that information.
1: So, Peter, for years there have been case after case on the definition of insider trading. What is the state of the law right now? Why is it so difficult to come up with a definition?
2: Well, I think that because this is judge-made law and judges sometimes tinker with it, It's hard to say exactly what it is. Now, in about 80 percent of the cases, it's fairly straightforward. It's really the 10 percent on the edges where it can become more difficult. But, for example, uh, Judge Jed Rakoff, who's one of the most famous district judges in the insider trading area, said really insider trading law is quite simple and that judges have made it far too complex And so in his view, at least, it's really very straightforward that if you have confidential information, if you give it to someone else and you get some benefit back, and it could be a warm, fuzzy feeling for that benefit, then that's enough. And that can establish insider trading liability. So because it's judge made, you know, judges aren't always very clear in their opinions.
1: Well, the fact that Judge Rakoff says that does not bode well for Sean Stewart, an investment banker whose conviction for passing insider tips to his father was overturned after he spent a year in prison on a three-year sentence. Prosecutors are retrying that, and it's coming before Judge Rakoff.
2: That's right. Well, it was reassigned from Judge Swain, and she withdrew from the case, and now it has come up in front of Judge Rakoff who is, although he has a reputation of being tough on, for example, the SEC, he has a fairly clear view of what constitutes insider trading. And so for Sean Stewart, this might not have been the best judge that he could draw, or at least not the most favorable judge, although it's not going to be an easy case for the government because this was a case in which they had a recording about how – his father said, I gave this to you on a silver platter, but then his father later contradicted that. And so really it's going to be an interesting evidentiary fight in Mr. Stewart's case as to who is the jury going to believe.
1: So there doesn't have to be a quid pro quo there, or the quid pro quo could be, I'm doing something nice for my father, and that's yeah. the warm and fuzzy feeling?
2: That The warm and fuzzy feeling, uh, Yeah, I mean, the Supreme Court has never said that, but— <laughs> <laughs> it said if you, you know, if you tip off a family member and that was in the Salmon case in which they upheld a conviction, it was two brothers who were very close and the court said that's good enough for the quid pro quo. You don't need a bag of cash like in the Ivan Bosky days if it makes you feel better, if it's a gift then that can be good enough.
1: So, Peter, there is another attempt to try to clarify insider trading with a bill. Tell us about that.
2: Well, it was passed by the House Financial Services Committee. It is an effort to actually finally legislate a definition of insider trading but if you read the bill it actually expands what is going to constitute insider trading for example if i were to break into your office and steal confidential information in other words what's called a conversion in the criminal law then i could be prosecuted for insider trading and that's a little bit outside of the norm But it takes a broader view of what is insider trading. And, of course, people don't really like insider trading. There's really a pretty strong feeling against insider trading, and that's what makes these cases so tough to win for the defendants. I think juries just view insider trading as greed. Greed should be punished.
1: Former U.S. attorney for Manhattan, Preet Barrara, was known for his crackdown on insider trading. Has the law held up? Have his prosecutions held up over time? Uh,
2: a couple of them failed, Newman being probably the most famous one, United States versus Newman. But since then, you know, if you were to go back and re argue those cases in light of Martoma, They might well survive, and under the new bill, it would be easier. The government doesn't have to prove a benefit to the source of the information, and if Congress were to adopt that law, it would make prosecutors' lives much easier, and the SEC for that matter.
1: Thanks so much, Peter. As always, as we delve into insider trading once again, that's Peter Henning, a professor at Wayne State University Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. I'm June Grosso. This
0: is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state